Hi, this is Dr. Meg Hayworth, holistic psychologist and nutrition strategist, and you're listening to Get Well Soon podcast series, the show that explores how to heal yourself with food and the power of the mind. Hi, this is Dr. Meg Hayworth offering holistic wellness solutions for abuse survivors with chronic illnesses. What? There's a link? Why, yes, there is. It's, it has been concluded by the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experiences. It's actually the largest public health study ever done. Um, and if you want to take the ACE quiz to assess your risk and make those connections, you can go to my website at meghayworth.com and download the quiz for free. So it's M-E-G-H-A-W-O-R-T-H dot com. Also, you can get my free ebook, 10 Steps to Overcoming the Effects of Victimization, which has my whole person integration technique in it that helps people overcome the emotions at the bottom of their story, and a free recipe book. Wait, wait, recipes? What do you mean? Well, yes, recipes. I've been a celebrity chef in Hollywood for over a decade and offering diets for food allergies and for specific conditions because you are a whole system. And if you have a chronic illness or chronic symptoms, then food helps to support the body while you're doing the deep inner work. So um, more about that, again, at meghayworth.com. So, and lastly here, please share this podcast with as many people as you think may benefit and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Um, And also please subscribe and tell your friends to subscribe too. So today we have quite the conversation. I mean, this one is powerful. So We have two childhood sexual abuse survivors that work with helping abuse survivors. And we both work with them to help them become thrivers. And the two of us are coming together to speak about a very touchy subject that really deserves deserves a deep and meaningful conversation. Um, So the two of us have seen a lot over the years. And Honestly, we both have been chomping at the bit to have this conversation to share with others who are dealing with their own abuse histories. Maybe you're just remembering, maybe you've been on this pathway for a long time and you still don't feel like you're recovered. Um, I I know one thing my guest and I both have in common is that we both decided that we're going to overcome this thing (laughs) and that's it, you know? Um, and there, there are moments where, yeah, we have setbacks and we have things that we have to go through as individuals as well, but we also have a lot of tools to help us. We have mentors that we go to, uh, to seek help and, you know, it's, it's a journey and, um, um, we both love to take our clients along that journey, uh, cause it's an important one to walk if you have been through abuse. So, um, my guest today is Lisa Foster. And she's been an active transformational um, uh, entrepreneur, a nonprofit founder, a speaker, facilitator, and a program developer. Um, and her proudest accomplishment is her transformation from survivor to thriver. And that's a, a big, big accomplishment um, after long-term childhood sexual abuse. As founder of Paraloom, she is committed to shifting the national conversation about sexual violation from shame and silence to heroism and fierce hope. I love those two words together. Paraloom provides a lit path with practical tools and a supportive community to empower clients to shine from their original design through speaking coaching events and a referral network of healing practitioners. So 
Welcome to the show, Lisa Foster. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here and to be having this conversation with you. Me too. And I think you're the perfect person to have this conversation with, um, largely because of how your um, your journey really began, like the, the moment that you had um, with your own personal story. Um, can you share with, with listeners what happened and 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 then the fallout that occurred from it? Because, I mean, you know this, what it takes to confront your abuser or choose not to. Yes, absolutely. Well, I was abused as a very young child and by my father, and I uh, repressed those memories and actually began to have flashbacks when I was 20 years old. And within a few weeks of having those flashbacks, I actually confronted my father about abusing me. And so that's beginning my journey. Uh, I really wasn't sure what I was getting into, but I knew I had to talk to my parents about what had mm-hmm, happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you have a good relationship with them? I mean, it, just in terms of being able to talk to them about things or was it? Not really. I like to say I, I didn't really know what I was doing, and I I didn't have anyone in my corner giving me any kind of advice one way or another. I didn't have a therapist that I was working with at the time uh, to kind of cause me to sort of pause before I had that conversation. Uh, my mom's relationship, I actually told her first, and she uh, believed me at first. And was very obviously upset by the information, um, mainly mainly for herself uh, at the time. And uh, and then when we were together, I said, you know, confronted my dad and said he abused me. And he just looked at me and said, I didn't do that. And that was that was that. Yeah. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, we were talking earlier that it just seems like nine times out of 10, that's what abuse survivors get is an I didn't do that kind of response um, and then that that leaves or they get people around them just saying I, I don't believe you you know um, and that just leaves us um, in a place of just feeling so alone and it's already such a lonely place to have those realizations and to not have the support from people around you is really, really tough. But I think most people don't even know how to support that, you know? Well, absolutely. And it was a little bit of an interesting dance with my family because, like I said, my mom, when she first heard that I had been abused, said, it wasn't your father, was it? And I said, yes, it was. And she said, I knew it. I knew it. He always wanted to put you to bed and give you baths. And and she began to sort of fill this in for me. And then he denied it. And then they went to one counseling session, which I have no idea what this this therapist was thinking in that, uh, you know, there she has a potential perpetrator in front of her. Um, But they my mom called me after that session and said, he did it. I know he did it. He couldn't even look the the counselor in the face and say that, um, you know, when he said he didn't do it. And so she continued to believe me uh, and. And then we talked to her mother, my grandmother, and told her. And that's when um, a week after that, that I, I was in college at the time, and I got a call from the, my both my parents on the phone saying to me that I was being used by the devil to destroy the family and then I needed to stop lying. And that's when everything shifted. 
the entire family decided, nope, I was lying about this. Oh my God. First of all, I'm so sorry you went through that. I mean, just to start having the the support or seeming to have the support and then have it just taken away. So it sounds like there was a religious influence going on. Yes. And that's uh, a whole interesting dynamic when you bring um, Christianity or religion into the mix. Uh, so yes, I actually received uh, Christ as my savior, which is what happens in evangelical Christian homes with the same man that abused me. Uh, so when I was seven years old, so when this all came out, there was just no place for this kind of reality, even though in my particular case, my dad, the two summers before when I had gone away as a freshman to college, uh, had had, um, uh, an epileptic seizure on the way home from coming from dropping me off. I was in Seattle. They were driving me to California, actually to your to your <laughs> land, to Biola University, a Christian school in Orange County. There, and on the way back, he had a seizure, and at the time, admitted to having been abused himself by his baseball coach when he was thirteen oh, years old. Oh wow! And that's this is a super important thing to bring out is that. Abuse doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't just show up in families. It's something that gets passed down. Um, and mm -hmm. that, you know, just like we're repressing the memories of it happening to us, abusers are repressing the memories of what happened to them. And also, I've worked with abusers who were also abused, who were repressing the memory. They didn't even realize they were doing it while they were doing it. Like, yes. it's almost like they came to in the middle of the experience and went, oh, my God, and stopped. Um, it's just like this unconscious thing that drives them. Um, and, you know, for the unhealed, unchecked abuse survivor, it's, it's something you really have to take care of. You know, like, that's the only way we're really going to overcome this um, in our society, I think. What do you think about that? Well, absolutely. I think that you're you're absolutely spot on. There's so much disassociation and trauma that happens around all of this. And I have wondered at times if my dad actually came to believe his own lies about this. It is uh it's been an interesting journey. It's now been you know, 27 years since I confronted him, and, and he still technically denies it. Uh, though early on, when I began my my healing work, I actually wrote him uh, a letter, and you know, again confronting him, and and he sent me back a, a photocopy page of verses on forgiveness. And uh, at other times, you know, he would he would say different things about it. But um, I do think, yeah, the, the layers of denial, disassociation and um, just there, there was no space for having honest conversations yeah. um, that that is what keeps it so much in the darkness and what causes it to be so prevalent, yes. particularly in families and churches and mm -hmm. schools. Yeah. Yeah. And it, these things do happen all the time. And it's that shroud of secrecy um, that, that keeps people quiet. And, you know, and then I work with them and their chronic illnesses and how they've stored those memories in their bodies. And it's just, you know, it's just, 
I mean, it's great when they get to me because then I can help them release that. But still, it's just really difficult to watch all of the different things that 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 level of secrecy and shame does to the individual. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the main conversation here really is about confronting and the way you did it obviously was really pretty painful and, um, and, and difficult. I mean, I think not having a therapist there with you could, could be really tough, but, um, so what do you think now as a, as a uh, professional in this field, um, what do you think about confronting? I mean, is, is it the right thing to do? Why confront? Is there a right or wrong way to confront? Yeah, that's that's such a great question. And, and it does come up a lot in the work that I do. And I absolutely um, feel like it's so important for people who have experienced violation of any kind to know that they get to choose. There is no right or wrong response. One of the things I like to say is, um, you know, when we were violated, especially as children, we had no voice and we had no yeah. choice. And so as adults, to be able to reclaim that voice and choice and to be able to choose how we approach our perpetrator, whether we approach our perpetrator, I believe absolutely squarely belongs um, to the person who has experienced the, the violation. Yes. So... That's, that's my bottom line. And I, I really, I have worked with, like you, I've worked with all sorts of different clients. So I have clients who are, you know, have worked with me and thriving in the aftermath of violation who have their perpetrators sitting in jail for yeah. decades, all the way to people who have never told anyone yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. in their family. Um, have not confronted their perpetrator too. I had a client a couple of years ago who decided to actually uh, contact the person who had raped her as a teenager. They were both teenagers and, and, and confront him and call him to accountability. Uh, and, and that's what she chose to do as part of her healing journey, as part of her reclamation of voice and choice. So yeah, it's a huge range of possibility. And, um, I just think it's all about, well, I personally believe that the truest form of justice for those of us who've experienced violation is to get our lives back, to have our lives back, to feel um, like we get to actually show up in the world and shine without shame. And so to me, the confrontation question, if, if, if it's in service to that, that's to me the, the top priority. Okay. Yeah. I, and I would agree, agree with you on that. I mean, I've worked with people who made the decision not to confront, especially if it was in a family situation, because one, they knew that there was absolutely no way that person would acknowledge them. Um, the person was a narcissist and it, it would have, uh, the tables would have been turned on them so viciously um, that just surviving the abuse, it would be another trauma <laughs> to confront and and it was hard enough to survive the abuse and all of its fallout and then to have that kind of shattering of their family it's just they just knew they couldn't take it so they just made that choice like no i i'm I'm not going to do that to myself at this juncture in my life you know um it's 
It really is a complex situation. And I know a lot of people say, yes, you should stand up and, and confront and make sure, you know, everybody goes to jail. And <laughs> like, it, it's not that simple. It really isn't. And one of the things that I think does um, a little bit of damage or a lot of damage is this idea that we are somehow responsible for the perpetrator's behavior and making sure that he or she uh, do not perpetrate again so that we, you know, we must tell because... Uh, and that, again, we're talking about a very complex, sticky, wicked issue, yep. right? Um, but I also find, I just think, to put on the backs of um, survivors that level of, you know, we're responsible for what our perpetrators do, I just think that is entirely unfair and doesn't serve what a, um, furthering the conversation. What a, t- you know what what a mean? wonderful point. Absolutely. It doesn't. It doesn't serve. Um, yeah, that's 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 a really good point um, because it is too much responsibility. I mean, it's already a huge responsibility just to bear the burden of of uh, a parent or some kind of caregiver um, violating you in that manner. So, you know, it's just like why well, heap more on us? <laughs> it just you know. Yeah. Well, and again, I mean, that's part of, I think, the rape culture. That's part of the victim blaming that happens. That's part of the mm-hmm. silencing of those of us who uh, have survived yeah. these things. This idea that, um, you know, just we're like all the onus of responsibility, all the onus of speaking up or doing something or not doing something rests on the shoulders of those who've experienced the, the often the worst trauma yeah. of their lives. Yep, Exactly. Exactly. So um, here's a, another th- thought I was thinking is that if you just, if you choose not to confront and one of your clients, you know, makes that choice and um, how do you advise them to show up and stay safe with the family, with, with the perpetrator? I mean, if they have to go back and see, if, in order to see all the rest of the family, the perpetrators in the room, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's a, a really, interesting question and it's not an easy one to answer and again I defer to the individual themselves and a conversation about their own sense of safety their own sense of being seen and being in their power and their voice and choice I think um, I I have had uh, one client who you know whose father abused her the abuse actually stopped um she actually, as a young child, spoke up and 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 stopped the abuse. Wow. Which really, I, I she's actually the only person um, that I have uh, heard tell that particular aspect of, of the story that way and, and experience it that way. Yeah. Um, and she mm-hmm. she didn't, you know, it was now thirty, forty years later, and she did not feel unsafe with her father and she did not feel that her children were unsafe and that there was, I mean, there was any kind of risk to her. So she was actively involved in her family's life for others. I would say, um, you know, they, the biggest thing is what, what are the boundaries that, that you want in place in that relationship? So for some people it's Mm. going to be, okay, I can do one holiday with 
with these people and I'm not going to stay in their house and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have certain parameters or certain boundaries in place. Um, And I think that it's really about being conscious and taking the time Mm -hmm. to get really in tune with what uh, our bodies are telling us. Um, and our our minds and our hearts and and where we're at and understanding that we can change our minds at any time. So we can, and and, and this is how I would articulate this with clients. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going for a holiday with family, what is your backup plan? If things start to get uncomfortable, if you decide, you know what, a boundary has been crossed or I don't, I don't feel safe. Um, Right. You just get triggered somehow that you didn't expect, you know, I'll never forget. So I'm not, and then this is important, an important point. Um, I am not in relationship with my parents and this, and I actually, that relationship I've tried over the last, uh, 27 years at various points. Um, the, the, I, uh, I say kind of a crass, crass joke. I hope it's okay to share, but, um, I, I'll say like, I, I'll kind of, poke, poke, you know, take a little stick and poke and say, okay, is it, is it still kind of crazy over there? It's like my crazy stick. And like, um, what I've discovered is every time I've done a little poke, like, whoa, yes, it is. I'm going to stay safe and protect myself and, uh, not, not be in that relationship. And so that is a very, again, a very conscious choice I have made. And I do remember Mm -hmm. years ago, early on in the journey, um, my, my, actually, my sister was getting married and I was just going to go because I thought I had to go. And it had been like, that was the right thing to do. And especially coming from Christianity, the whole idea of honor your father and mother and, you know, there's a certain yeah. way you need to show up and it's wrong to have cut off the relationship. And I'll never just, I'll never forget a therapist saying to me, what about you? What about safety? And, and how is this not re I forget exactly how he put it, how he phrased it, but this sense of, Am I re-victimizing? Am I going to be re-victimized yeah. or re-traumatized being in the presence of an entire group of people that have absolutely yeah. rejected me, rejected the truth of my experience, and have actually accused yeah. me of multiple things um, in order to avoid facing the reality of incest? It's it's a hard it's just such a hard thing to to figure out. I mean, I've worked with people who have done a similar thing where they just made the decision that um, I'm going to go maybe once a year. I'm going to go for very important family events, but for the most part, I'm they've like separated themselves from their family very purposefully to protect themselves, you know. Um, and and they used to make it all about the family. You know, like just showing up and being there and trying to make everybody happy and this sort of people pleaser thing that happens with a lot of survivors, you know. Um, And then, uh, but, you know, I've known several people who made that decision where it was just like, you know what, when I decided that I wasn't going to put myself in the mix every single holiday (laughs) um, or, you know, just only when I feel up to it. everything changed for me. There's a certain amount, a certain kind of empowerment that comes Well, absolutely. That, and that's exactly what I was just going to say. Again, anything we can do on our healing or what I call our heroic journey to reclaim the treasure of our true selves mm-hmm. and to shine in the world in the fullness of our power, anything we can do to be empowered 
that that's the zone we want to be in, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. Um, so, you know, what's interesting though, this idea of yeah. choosing to be with our family or choosing to be around our perpetrator when we've got young children, if we were abusing children. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. What uh, you yeah, say that's about? where I was going to go next. Yeah. Yeah, no, go ahead. I mean, this is a, a big thing because a lot of people are just like, well, what do you mean you, you bring your child around them? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, this is just such a complicated, multi-layered situation. It's just, so, yeah. So what do you say to them, you know, if you're well, bringing your children around? Uh, I would say that is a um, high alert uh, scenario and that a person does need to be very, very, conscious. And I personally um, would not uh, want to see young children ever alone with a perpetrator on, in, in, on any level. And so if they're, if they're at like a yeah. family event, there's going to have to be, I think, a high level of uh, mm-hmm. containment, you know, in terms of where those children are, what what's happening if they choose to yeah. be um, with that family member. And also uh, just an awareness of other people's children around that person. So I take that very seriously. That, that is, um, I, I'm, when we're dealing with adults who are abused as children and the, the mm-hmm. confrontation of perpetrators, absolutely. It's to me all about voice and choice. Um, I do draw a line in the sand when we, when we have children involved. Um, and I had to actually mm-hmm. I had to speak to both my brother and sister about this uh, and have conversations with them about protecting their children, my, you know, nieces and nephews. And fortunately, you know, I'm, I'm in relationship and good and a good relationship with my siblings now at this point. Uh-huh. And they respected okay. and heard that and um, acted accordingly because whenever we're talking about children, uh, I think the, the most important dynamic is that no more children are getting abused by this perpetrator. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. And, you know, when you are the adult, you can make those decisions um, about, you know, what the boundaries are in terms of, you know, they don't spend the night, they don't, you know, and and I think there's something too with, I've talked to a lot of abuse survivors who, and I'm this way too, where I'm hypervigilant when there are children around and you just kind of, watch closely the dynamic of what's happening, you know, because you're just sort of, at least I get in this mode where I just like, I just want to protect them, make sure they're okay. Absolutely. I'm curious from your perspective, if you don't mind me, may I ask you a question? Sure. Um, Just for you, what have you done personally? What, what has your journey been um, around uh, in the past or, you know, having spent time, with the person that, that, um, was your perpetrator? Oh, wow. Well, you know, the, for a long time, there was no choice. Um, and I, cause I didn't think there was, I, and I didn't know there was. And then, you know, finally I realized there was a choice <laughs> and I don't really have to, to, uh, to, to be in that anymore. Um, and, and I had several different perpetrators. So, um, in, in different scenarios and wasn't really protected. Um, it, it was, it was always a, a very sweep it under the carpet, act like it didn't happen kind of thing. And you get very practiced at that. Um, 
whether you want to be or not. And I think when I became really conscious of how practiced I was at that and how much it was actually hurting me and how triggered I would become, then that's, you know, I started to make decisions uh, about um, removing myself from the situation. So that, that's been a big piece of what I've done. Um, Wow. What, yeah. what a, what a powerful awakening. Um, if I, if I may use the hero's journey, you know, language, that idea of just realizing, wow, I've just the pattern of the coping mechanism of sleeping under mm-hmm. the rug and, and really internalizing the shame and internalizing the damage that's being done. And, and I think that is very typical. So, yeah. wow. What a, what a moment to realize, you know, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it really was actually. It just felt like I'd really stepped into a whole new level of me when I made that decision. Um, And it it just felt really right. Um, And, you know, and I I love what you say. It's like you can undecide that at any time. (laughs) You you know, you can make a new decision, a different decision. Um, But but I also knew that for me in my situation that uh, confrontation would be absolutely shattering. And, um, I, I couldn't do that. I, I couldn't do that to myself. That was the bottom line. Um, I'd been through enough trauma. <laughs> I'd been through multiple different types of traumas. Um, and so I was just like, you know what, I, I'm not going to heap one more on, onto me. So, um, so that, that was part of what I did. And, and, but I did it from an empowered place, um, not from a place of weakness, um, and I'm, I'm, I feel good about that decision. Absolutely. Well, I, I love that. I mean, I love that you were so aware of, of that for yourself. And, and, you know, I couldn't do that to myself. Uh, you know, I have to say, when I think about my dynamic, uh, there, I got married very soon mm-hmm. after confronting my family. And that actually, mm. I was, I was 21 when I got married and it was literally months. Wow. We, when I met my now ex-husband, um, uh-huh. when I met him, I had just confronted my dad. I'd actually just had my first flashbacks. I had, so this is all happening. It all happened within 10 months that I confronted my father. Oh, and then I was wow. in that same man. My father was walking me down the aisle. And, uh, what's interesting Oh my gosh. Well, and, and the, and the re the reason I bring it up is, is because of what you're saying that I, the only, the only reason I could actually do what I did and, and walk away from my family and not just give in. And, and there was actually a season in there, which I'm happy to talk about if you want me to, where I actually Mm -hmm. denied it again after I had confronted him. And, um, and that's, I think really important to understand too, the, the level at which, uh, it's easy to, especially when we do feel unsafe in the world and that there's no other recourse, of course, we're going to, I think, choose our families or choose our own well-being. And, um, but anyway, I was able to step into a, a marriage relationship and my ex-husband's family who really loved me and loved me well. And, and there was a place for me to have family without having to be a part of the craziness. Oh, wow. That must have been so nice for you. Yeah. I mean, it was, it just made a difference. And so I I want to acknowledge that because, because the reality is if I hadn't had that, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have made the choices I made. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I don't know 
I think that that maybe you did maybe attract that person because you needed support so badly mm-hmm. and you needed to feel loved and, and cared for and to have somebody hold your hand through that experience because it's, it's, um, it's really critical to have support. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, when I look back, I just think that was a gift of grace in my life. And because, yeah. uh, because I married uh, that man, my ex-husband, I was able to start my therapeutic journey, my healing journey soon after we got married. And even though I was still finishing college, I, I, I in, my, in my first year of marriage, that's really, I just took on healing. And so those first three years of our marriage, that is what I did. I was in, um, I was seeing a therapist and I was in a group support situation, um, group therapy. And mm-hmm. wow, what, what a difference that made. And so I will always be grateful for, the provision that I had at the time to step out of, of a step out of crazy because it was crazy. Yeah. Wow. That is, I mean, well, it makes you feel crazy when everyone else is, is telling you your reality is wrong. And the reality is that you're suffering so deeply inside um, that even when you try to tell yourself it didn't happen. Cause I can tell you, I've tried to tell myself <laughs> billion times. Oh, I'm just making it up. You know, uh, you know, every time that happens, and I've talked to other survivors who say the exact same thing, they get this sick feeling in their stomach that tells them that you're telling yourself a lie. Mm-hmm. It's the truth. It happened, you know, yeah. and with, with all, you know, it happened because of all the fallout you have from it. Exactly. You know? exactly. So all of the pain, all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the, yes, uh, the the PTSD, oh my gosh, the yes. nightmares, panic attacks, mm-hmm. the you know, oh, the flashbacks, all of those things—they're—they're they're real. Absolutely. Um, something I really want to talk about, I think, is super important, and you started to touch on it earlier when um, you you were given that message that you're supposed to honor your father and mother, and you're supposed to forgive, and all of so you have these religious messages coming at you, and then you have the concept of forgiveness, which is presented to us as a religious concept, but it's really not. It's so much more broad. Um, it's We understand it within the context of that, but I think that kind of unhinges people mm-hmm. from ever really doing it because they don't really get it. So, so I know you've got some uh, major uh, great advice, I just, uh, from from what you've been through on forgiveness and what it really is. Can you address that? Yeah, absolutely. So forgiveness, yeah, talk about a sticky wicked issue. Talk about a triggering word. Uh, it's, I'll tell you, my first, those first few years, because I was still very involved in um, churches and in Christianity, that was the main message I heard over and over again from uh, other people. Not everybody, but but mm-hmm. certain people, there that would be their response to me. Just forgive him. And um, I absolutely became like the Hulk internally <laughs> and more in real I would hear that uh, because what it felt like was dismissive. It felt totally dismissive yes. to me. It felt mi- like it minimized the, the level of trauma uh, uh-huh. and it just like skipped over to the end part of the story 
and and let him off the hook. There were so many there's so many myths I think around forgiveness. I actually a few months yeah. ago with Paralum we did a, a shine score, a spotlight on forgiveness, and we had a wonderful author in um, who's written an entire book on forgiveness, and we we really. Mm-hmm demystified and de-shamified and, and talked about this topic. Um, so, but the first thing I want to say about forgiveness is it is our choice <laughs> and we do not have to forgive. And that I think is um, really important, a distinction, I believe. Um, okay. the, the other distinction is because, well, cause the other thing is mm-hmm. to talk about forgiveness that early on in my journey, when I hadn't even felt my emotions, Related yeah. to the abuse, um, again, yeah. I think I think we can forgive too soon, um, just to try to again skip over and, and avoid pain at times, or to do the right mm-hmm. thing, or to be loved by God, or all those kinds of things. Um, so for me, the the journey of forgiveness again is very personal, and I think it is absolutely one hundred percent for us. Yes, yes, Which, it's yeah, yeah. It's not something that you do with the person sitting in front of you. It's something you do within yourself. Um, I always think of it as an energetic inner dynamic um, where you're releasing the hold that you have, that the resentment has had on you. Like you said, working through the emotions that were underneath and, and the way forgiveness is kind of taught. It's, it's like, well, just let it go. Mm -hmm. Just which is more like saying, well, just pretend it didn't happen. Uh, everyone else's. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is all what we all want you to do, please. We don't want to be in the mess of this. So please, please forgive and move on. Yeah. Absolutely. Meanwhile, you're suffering. Just absolutely suffering and no one gets it, you know. Absolutely. Um, well, I will say about the, the the way I describe it to clients who are at all interested or who it comes up in our uh, sessions that there there may be some freedom that's available for them there. I, I describe it as if I'm carrying anybody in in my heart in my and you maybe you would, might say that you're in my energetic field. I don't know. I don't I don't use that same language, but in my space, um, it's actually blocking or or keeping me. From freedom mm. and from and when I can remove them through the act of forgiveness and letting go and 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 it, you know a, another level of acceptance or whatever language really encompasses that for a person, then what yeah. happens is I get access to creativity wherever they were taking up residence in my being. I get to now create because they're create from and create a life I love and cr- live into possibility because they're no longer taking up residence there. Yes, exactly, exactly. I say it a little differently, but it's really the same concept. It's um, those emotions like resentment, shame, fear, guilt, and where we hold them in our bodies and giving them a voice to express themselves and understand, you know, what they're doing for us, because they're usually trying to protect us in some way, mm-hmm. um, giving them a space to, to, to talk and then then saying, okay, you know what? I can let you go. I see how you're blocking me from this. And then when that energy is released, which is a process of self-forgiveness, then you've got energy available to you to 
or at least space available, I think of it almost like a computer, you can load in another app like joy, yeah. excitement, I love fun, that. Absolutely. happiness. Yep. Totally know? agree. Well, that's interesting though. Tell me about this, the idea of self-forgiveness being the access to forgiving our perpetrators, if I heard you correctly. Self, well, self-forgiveness, um, the, the, technique I do is whole person integration technique and it's um, directly working with the emotions where they're located in the body um, giving them a voice because I really think that those emotions are, are I think of them as teaching emotions not negative emotions mm-hmm. um, and that they have something that they need to say and that they're going to keep hanging out in there and knocking 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 at our door until we finally acknowledge them and what most of us do is we run from them we numb them we you know drink we have lots of sex or serial monogamy or (laughs) tv or online shopping or whatever the strategy we use to try to avoid it but once we listen to that and hear what they have to say and then release that it's it's releasing the uh, emotion at the bottom of the story and understanding the layers of, you know, why it was there. It's just Mm -hmm. giving it a voice. Um, And in that it becomes uh, a a way of self-forgiveness or self-releaseness. I like the word releaseness. (laughs) Yeah, I like that too. That makes so much sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it's a letting go that happens, you know, and I think, you know, that's what you're, and I know that's what you're doing with your um, clients as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because we can't, we can't let go of what we can't acknowledge, what we can't, like you're saying, we have to be willing to see and experience those emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, to and, and, and one of the things that I end up doing with clients, if it, if it makes sense, I've had a, a number of clients end up making lists of the people that have perpetrated against them or hurt them and the Mm -hmm. impact on them. And, and then I get to be a witness to that Uh as they, and then that becomes the foundation from which they can then release, um, you know, those, those emotions and those folks. So powerful. So powerful to have a witness. Mm -hmm. And especially one that really gets you because they've been there too. Well, absolutely. And one of the things um, I, I say, and I, I think I got this from Landmark. I did some work with Landmark a few years ago, and um, they talk about uh, what disappears complaints is being really heard and seen. And I see that in, in a lot of the work that I do, but it, particularly for those who've experienced sexual violation, to be able to get it all out. Mm-hmm. Not just a piece of it, like to someone at some point to be fully seen, to be fully heard, to be validated. That yeah. own, I mean, that is so healing to have mm-hmm. our experience and the impact recreated for us by somebody else who gets mm-hmm. it. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's incredibly meaningful and incredibly powerful. So I really am. Just so thrilled you're you're in the world doing what you're doing. Um, and speaking of which, can you tell people about uh, Paraloom a little bit more? Um, 
Absolutely. And I, I just have to say, I'm so thrilled that you are in the world. I'm oh, so, I, uh, I loved, I just couldn't believe when I saw what, what you're up to. And I think it's just in, incredible. So yeah, Parallel um, really came about the, 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 the genesis or the little embryonic, you know, idea was actually way back when I was first started doing my therapeutic work at age 21. And I had this wonderful therapist. And I remember these two fires burning in me. The first was, I will be whole. Mm. That man will not have the last word on my identity and my experience in life. And the second was, when I'm free enough, I'm bringing as many people as possible with me, that this thing is going down, this darkness of sexual violation and child sexual abuse. And, and I had no idea that it would take a couple of decades and a divorce to uh-huh. actually um, be the proper, the, the right time for Paralum to come forth. Mm-hmm. But um, the vision of Paralum is to transform, as you said earlier, the conversation about sexual violation from shame and silence to heroism and fierce hope. Mm-hmm. And our mission is to provide a lit path with practical tools and a supportive community to transform survivors into thrivers. Mm-hmm. And so, How we do this is I use a simplified version of the hero's journey with four stages. And we've got offerings in each stage um, that uh, include monthly events called shine soirees uh, in the awakening stage, which when we're awakening to the reality and or the impact of sexual violation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these are free events in the community. They're also live streams so people can join us wherever they're at. Um, so that's a piece of it. And then, yeah, just have uh, different other offerings in the transformation stage where there's a tribe of healing practitioners with different modalities, therapists, bodywork professionals, um, all sorts of different healers there. And oh, um, yeah, so there's there's lots of uh, lots of cool cool services. The main um, reason Paralone came into existence is because. Uh, I, when I looked up 20 years later, I saw that though we had really come far in terms of understanding the statistics around child sexual abuse and other kinds of violation, and though we had come so far um, with neuro, understanding neuroscience mm-hmm. and all the different modalities and trauma therapies, I still saw that there wasn't really anything for after recovery and that we were mm-hmm. still sort of limited within the language of survivor. And so that's where um, the, the, you know, having the hero's journey and having stage three, a reward for going through our transformation stage, going through our recovery stage, our healing stage mm-hmm. is so important. And so that's where I have the free to shine program, which is the signature offering, um, of Paralum. And it's for those who are ready to be and play big and shine from the inside out. I, I the way I describe it is it's for women who are up to something. They're really up to creating uh-huh. something in their lives and they do not want the pain of their past stopping them yeah. in any way. And they've done, um, enough recovery work that they really are ready to be yes. seen mm-hmm. and, uh, and to shine. So yeah. And then stage four is shining. And so we have some things for graduates of the free to shine program there. And um, that really is bringing our true selves to the world uh, without any shame. That's wonderful. That's so fantastic. I love what you're doing and I so appreciate you and your work and this conversation. I can't wait to put it out into the world because um, so many people need to hear it. Um, I feel, I just have a sense that as people hear this conversation, they're just going to feel a sense of relief 
a sense of hope, a sense of there's, you know, there's something out there that uh, takes them to the next level, you know? Absolutely. Um, I love that. Because yep. we're both really in that space of, you know, taking people to the next level in our different, the different ways that we do it. And um, uh, yeah, so anyway, I'm just so thrilled to have met you and to uh, can I just say one thing about that that yeah. that's so what I think the bottom line that I, reason I was so excited to be a part of this conversation with you about um, should we confront our perpetrators mm-hmm. is that we both do like you said this work around thriving and to leave people with a message you can thrive mm-hmm. and overcome child sexual abuse and other types of trauma whether or not you ever choose to confront your perpetrator. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it, it really is ultimately up to you. Yes. So you have choices. And I, and I think when we are told in that scenario that your only choice is that you have to confront, you have to send them to jail, you have to, you know, like all this, you know, all these have tos, like you said, it's just a huge responsibility that you're putting on somebody who's already gone through way too much. So, um, Absolutely. yeah. And any place we can eradicate shame, mm. guilt, judgment, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, responsibility. I think that's what we want to do for, for overcomers, you know, yeah. uh, overcomers in the making that, that, uh, give them the freedom yeah. to choose how they want to respond. Absolutely. And so how do people get in touch with you? Well, they can find me uh, at uh, paraloom.com, and that is P-A-R-I-L-L-U-M-E. And I can be reached uh, via email at lisa at paraloom.com as well. Okay, great. And um, you have some free giveaway things on your website, don't you? I do. What I have is um, tools for reclaiming the treasure of your true, true self. And so I work with a couple of assessments and I have links to those, free links to those and videos and information um, that can help individuals really understand themselves more and step into who they truly are. Okay, great. Wonderful. So, all right. Lots of great things on your website. I was just on it this morning, looking at it again. <laughs> great resources. So, um Thank you again so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And thank you listeners for listening to the show. And again, please share it with as many people as you think may benefit. Um, We'd love it if you go into iTunes and uh, look for the review tab and submit a review for us. We'd really, really appreciate it. Um, And uh, we thank you so much and we hope that this this show will help you get well soon for more information go to meghayworth.com to sign up for our email list get your free copy of five anti-inflammatory on-the-go lunch recipes and access to our private facebook community thank you so much for listening